Welcome, welcome everyone to the Simon Dan podcast. We are on episode number five. I can't believe we're on five already. This is a place where science and conspiracy collide. And I've got huge news. Katz is back. He is back from the brink in this co-hosting chair. How the devil are you feeling, buddy? I'm feeling a lot better, thank you very much. A good. lot better. Good so, to hear. Uh, really yeah, good to very hear. Good. Uh, you're good. All set for Christmas? I am. I'm really looking forward to it. Obviously, it's going to be a very digital Christmas. We've got all the yep. uh, the grandparents set up with webcams for Christmas Day and uh, whatnot, so we can spend some virtual time. It's it's nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. What about yourself? Good. Yeah, I'm pretty much done. Um, wife likes to make a thing how I'm only ever in charge of her gifts and she's in charge of the rest of the family's gifts. And I've tried to make a point this year of, of not that being the case. And I'm like, yep, I'll go and buy these for the kids. I'll go. So, you know, I'm in the good books at the moment. But anyway, let's get our guest on. We've been talking about this for ages, haven't we, Cats? Today's guest is a theoretical physicist, author and broadcaster, a University of Surrey Distinguished Chair and Fellow of the Royal Society. The Sunday Times referred to him as an affable egghead. It is, of course, the brilliant Professor Jim Al-Khalili, OBE. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. Looking forward to it. Yes, absolutely. We are. We've been looking forward to this for weeks. How, how are you doing? Are you set for Christmas? Pretty much. I think we, uh, we've we decided now my, uh, the, our, my two kids are coming round. I call them kids. They're in their late 20s now, yeah, but they, okay. they'll always be the kids with their other halves. So there's going to be six of us. That's it. Sorted. Nice. Three households, six people. Uh, my, my dad lives nearby, but we'll have to pop round. And, yeah. and I think same as cats, we're, we're, we're going to be probably having Zoom chats with him at some point over yeah. the day. But so he's fine. You've got your bubble sorted. Exactly. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, so, Jim, I was looking through some of your um, publications, and I was interested in the one that you did called Sunfall. It was the the one, the dystopian thing set in the future. Mm, mm. It's, and, it's my one and only novel. Well, I I'm really I mean, look, I've got a book idea, and I just want to quickly pitch it to you. And for, when I first read <laughs> the, the the blurb to your book, I thought you stole my idea. You stole, but then. It was it was to do with the, obviously the magnetic field failure and all that. So picture this, right? The Earth was hit by some sort of a, a meteor or asteroid, and it slowed the rotation of the Earth. And it started to slow the rotation of the Earth so much that after a certain amount of time, it became in synchronous rotation with the Sun. So there was only ever one side of the face of the Earth mm-hmm. facing the Sun, and there's one side that's really cold. And the humans that are left are kind of living in the Terminator line, you know, the, du- the dark, the dusk. The dusk uh, dawn line right, right. and uh, they've got to try and survive in that what, what do you think is that the bones of a book is that the bones yeah, of a story absolutely i i sounds, sounds like a great idea i mean that's the thing i mean it, i guess like you my, writing the book i was just thinking of all the hollywood disaster movies i'd watched yeah you know? well, I'm, I'm not <laughs> what, what can i do that's going to become a hollywood blockbuster basically good way of thinking yeah well i'm not a great i don't consider myself a great writer so uh you know, if I start seeing these sorts of books coming out, then uh, we know why. You'll, you'll know where it's, yeah. how it's been leaked. Yeah. As long Fair as enough. it's not you, Jim, as long as it's not you. <laughs> anyway, um, let's, let's crack on. So where, the first thing, obviously, where does the love of science come from? What was the inspiration for you to get involved in science? Well, for, uh, for me, well, I don't know if you know, but I grew up in Iraq. So my well, yes. my mum's English. My, my dad's from Iraq. He's now obviously settled in, in Britain. But as a, as a kid, I grew up in Baghdad. Okay. And... 
during the summer months in Iraq, it's so hot that you sleep on the roof. So, you know, it's always really exciting as kids. Yeah, you know, it's hot and it's warm enough to sleep on the roof. So I, I used to lay in my bed on the roof, looking up through the mosquito net, up at the stars. So I'm like 11, 12 years old. And the sort of questions which I get a lot of, I guess a lot of kids will think about, you know, does, does space go on forever? How yeah. far away are the stars? What are the stars made of? What makes them shine? And all those questions that sort of bubbling around. And I think at some point at school, I must have had a good, as, as is often the case, you have a good science teacher yeah. and they get you hooked. And I had a good physics teacher. And it, 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 I realized that if I wanted answers to these big questions about, you know, the meaning of reality, then I had to study physics. It's, it was no good, you know, there's, there's no other subject that is going to satisfy my curiosity. And from then on, from my early teens, I still felt I, I was, my career was going to be as a, as a professional footballer with Leeds United. Right, mm -hmm. so that, that that hasn't quite panned out, but the physics thing ever since then, ever since the age of about thirteen, I've I've been in love with it. Yeah, the football thing doesn't pan out for any of us, does it? <laughs> Cat, no, I'm not alone. <laughs> no, Cats Cats is Blackburn, and I'm Southampton, right. um, uh, which you're probably not too happy about from where you live, unless you don't have those sorts of ties. To, well, to, what? Sorry, but, to the football team where you live. Uh, my, my, I've never, I've never lived in Yorkshire. I'm, I see, think of myself as an honorary Yorkshire. Oh, okay. I, support, okay. I supported Leeds, you know, because in the early seventies they were the team to support. Yeah. And so it was okay. like the fear of the support, and I've just haven't been able to shake that off. Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Um, so you're a prolific science communicator. Uh, Kat says that you are one of his favourites, um, but you're a quantum physicist by trade. Um, mm. Richard Feynman once said, nobody understands quantum mechanics, but how true is that today? Because obviously we've come a long way since then, haven't we? Well, what Richard Feynman, I mean, and he was one of the greatest physicists of the 20th century, he was no fool, but what he meant when he said no one understands it, he didn't mean, you know, here's a theory, we don't know how to use it, because yeah. basically, you know, the way we're talking now, we're, we're recording this podcast over Zoom, we're using technology, we're using computers, none of that technology would be possible if we didn't understand the quantum world, you know, the world of atoms and electrons and subatomic particles. So, we do understand quantum mechanics in the sense that this is the most powerful, successful theory in all of science. What Richard Feynman meant was that it's it doesn't make sense. It works, it's yeah. accurate, it's correct. But when you think, again, how? how? How can that be the way it is? That's what gives us the headache. And, and, and we still have that same headache today that we had 100 years ago when the theory was first being developed. I mean, Katz, you're a biologist, aren't you? Well, you're, bi you're a biologist first, physicist later, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Am yeah. I? Um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I wish I'd have taken a different path and, and started with the physics first. When I landed into teaching after a biology master's degree, they needed school needed a physics teacher, and I sort of retrained over the last twenty years and, and taught the physics. But what I really love about the subject, and, and something I like to say about yourself, is when I'm studying and trying to learn the things that I need to, to teach to the kids, I find it so difficult. I find it so, you know, so complicated. But the ease at which you explain it. I mean, how difficult is that for you to take something that you must understand so well and, and boil it down to communicate it in the way that you do? Is it is it frustrating that you've got to boil it down so much? You know, how difficult is that? I, I've I've always enjoyed. I've, I've I guess part of it is that in maybe my social group of friends ever since I was a, a student at university weren't other scientists, weren't other physicists. So I was very used to being, you know, down the pub or dinner parties or whatever. 
and and explaining things sort of hand wavy way without any technical detail. So I find that fun, and I and I like judging the level of understanding of the person I'm talking to, so I can notice when you know that light bulb moment when you think, oh, oh, I see what you mean. So finding the right terms, finding the right phrase, finding the right examples is something I I enjoy. But I I don't get frustrated. I, I think I'm I'm so used to explaining and communicating. Very often, a lot of the the metaphors and analogies that I use. They're tried and tested. I know what works and what doesn't. I know the best way of explaining something. I know what detail to leave out because it's not, you know, that's just going to confuse you if I go into that. So I won't even go there. Just give you the bare bones. Um, it's brilliant. Yeah, brilliant it was funny enough. I was going to I was going to move on to that actually because I recently saw an interview uh, that you gave where you were talking about um, the public being scientifically literate and how it's very difficult to uh express the things that you want to express especially in what the current circumstances mm -hmm. are in now without a scientifically literate public in general yeah i mean i when i started science communication uh, and, and i didn't do it altruistically because i think the public needs to know the stuff i did it because i enjoyed explaining yeah. i'm you know um but there's that there's one side of it is the fascination the curiosity you know what happens if i fall into a black hole oh what is what is what does einstein's theory of relativity mean all the, you know the exciting sexy stuff you know yeah. the large hadron collider discovering extrasolar planets and that business but i think certainly what what we've really really realized this this past year during the pandemic is that it's not enough just to talk about the fascinating science people need to know how science works you know very early on in the you remember very early on the pandemic people were getting so annoyed because scientists are saying well we don't know it could be this it could be that I, we don't know if, if we take these precautionary measures or you wear a face mask you don't wear a face mask you do this you do that should you just wash your hands it wasn't the scientists uh, uh, you know can't make up their minds it's that the way science works is that you know you, you learn from evidence gathering evidence gathering data uh, comparing ideas with each other yeah. so i think explaining to the public make it when, when we say we want the public to be more scientifically literate it doesn't mean that they all know how to solve equations yeah. right it doesn't mean they all become experts in astronomy or genetics it means they understand that in science it's okay to be uncertain it's yeah. okay to make mistakes. Uh, uh, you know, you, you, what is the value of evidence? How do, what evidence do you trust and what evidence is, is just misinformation? That, that's what the scientific training gives you. Yeah, and we're seeing it now, aren't we, with the vaccine and how quickly it's come through and there's a lot of people doubting uh, the, the, the speediness that we've got it out. Kind yeah, of they, they assume it, that it's because it's fast, therefore yeah. we must have cut corners exactly. or that we, we, we haven't tested it. So getting across what clinical trials are... Yeah. That forty thousand people have been been taking this this vaccine for months, and we see the results. And only when we see the results that it's safe and that it works do we then open it up to the rest of society. But those the, those things aren't obvious to me. Why would people know all about clinical trials unless well, it's explained to them? Well, they're not. But mm -hmm. it, correct me if I'm wrong, Katz. Isn't trial clinical trials part of the GCSE curriculum for biology? We we mention the need for trials okay. and we oh. mention an order of um you know trialing on a small number of people then yeah then expanding that group of people but it's 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 really uh, no Basic. more detail than that in the yeah. specification it's 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 a couple of sentences and that's it okay fair enough um jim your newest book i think i'm writing saying the world according to physics uh where you introduce readers to the fundamental space time energy and matter and then you then move on to what you describe as the three pillars of modern physics quantum mm. theory, relativity, and thermodynamics. Mm. How much of a leap is that for the average person to go from those four initial ideas 
to those three more complicated ones? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a compact book. It's almost pocket sized, and yeah. it's not you know, it's not something like thousand pages that you have to wade through and learn everything you need to know. What I wanted to do in this book is is get to sort of the very limits of our current understanding very quickly without the need for people to sort of have the whole baggage of training in physics to understand those concepts. Okay. So yeah, it is a jump. Um, and I think, you know, people who've got a background in physics will read it and go, yep, yep. Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. Oh yeah, I understand that. But it's not really aimed for them. It's aimed for people who may have heard of some of the concepts, are curious, want to know more, and I just want to give them the headlines. And so when I talk about quantum mechanics, I say what it is. I talk about relativity and the nature of space and time. And I talk about thermodynamics, heat, and, and, and um, the way you order stuff in the universe. So they are difficult concepts. I just try, sometimes I think I try, I put it in a really nice way that probably feel, people feel, oh yeah, I get it, I get it. But then they probably go away and a few weeks later, it's, what was, what was his point there? You know, so I've, I've, I've made a difficult concept simple and that then that gives people the impression that it really is simple when it's not. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes I do actually do that. I read something that's quite complex and within a week I would have to go back and reread it to try and to, well, that's, to grasp I mean it that's again. quite natural. We're yeah. all I mean, we're like that anyway in science as well. Yeah, absolutely. But the four fundamentals though, the space, time, energy and matter, they're there's things that most people people could probably grasp quite quickly, aren't they? They are. I mean, matter is stuff, energy is yeah. energy. But actually, you know, when you dig into it, the way, when, the way a physicist well, yeah. understands these <laughs> concepts, they're not straightforward at all. You know, when, when you say space, well, that's, that's you know, space is where stuff happens, right? It's, it's the air that I breathe. It's the room that I'm sitting in. And then Einstein talks about space is actually space time and it's four dimensional and it's the shape of a gravitational field you think oh hang on a minute i thought i understood it i thought it was a normal word what is time well i can tell you what the time is but what is the nature of time suddenly the, what you think are simple concepts are actually hugely deep philosophical ideas yeah absolutely um cats do you uh, i mean how, how much of you because you you taught a level uh, a level physics didn't you Yes. How much is yeah. there in that in that on thermodynamics and quantum theory and stuff like that? Um, oh, thermodynamics and quantum. Th th we do we do have a, a full unit of thermodynamics, but more related to what uh, uh, I guess we're speaking about. Though we we talk about time dilation, we introduce, and I find that the kids get really, really, really fascinated about time dilation, and then they want to ask me questions that I can't answer. So I go online and I look at videos by that's, Professor that's Jamal Kalelian trying, yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out what the answer is. But that, that, that's, to me, the thing that always gets the wow factor in level physics is, is when that comes up. And I, I, I wish I had the understanding to be able to articulate it, you know, better, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think kids these days know, I mean, partly because of the, the internet, because of, you know, a lot of Hollywood movies, you know, the science fiction digs into some of these topics. So they're, they're remarkably sort of informed about ideas like, you know, quantum physics or yeah. uh, space time and wormholes and whatever that, that yeah that that's what that's exciting and that's what they're, they're curious about but when you have to explain the science behind it 
then that's a whole, you know, it, that's way beyond just a science fiction explanation. Yeah. Well, that, that's when you end up in my classroom, Misty. I know I said off that you end up in class. When they ask me those questions like that, I think, I'm not quite sure, but let's see if we can find someone who explains it. And then that's where you come in. There I am on YouTube. Cats, <laughs> you'll give me the impression, Cats, that most of your science lessons are just videos from YouTube. But to, You've got yeah, a... exactly. And, and I'm not getting any credit for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're, I'm sure they're much better than that, Cats. I'm sure they are. <laughs> Um, but that that leads on nicely to um, if I'm watching a, a film or something like that, I tend to like the films that are more entrenched in real science, like things like Interstellar, which has obviously got a good a good grounding in terms of what actually could be going on up there. However, have you seen Ant Man? Yes, yes. So Ant Man, he uses the quantum realm. And then later on, he uses it to travel through time without confusing me too much. How conceivable is that theory? Well, so the, the traveling through time business is what Ant-Man does in Avengers. Exactly. Yeah. In Avengers. Endgame. Yep. Now, <laughs> I, yeah, I happen to. So the science consultant on Avengers Endgame is a mate of mine. Oh, OK. He, he's an American physicist called Sean Carroll. Right. Uh, he works at Caltech, California Institute of Technology. Uh, and, and he gave them the ideas for, you know, how can you travel through the quantum realm and, and travel back in time? It's based on very speculative science. Right. It's not silly. It's not wrong, but it's not particularly feasible in reality. Okay. So it's the idea that yes, you can possibly you can possibly travel back in time is Einstein's idea of wormholes, uh, and you might get wormholes down at the quantum scale, down in the, the tiniest length scales. But how Ant Man shrinks himself and and makes himself big that's that's just nonsense. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that bit. But the traveling back in time is fine. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. miniaturizing himself that, that I don't like. <laughs> but it's interesting because he was stuck in there, wasn't he, for what he thought was five hours, and it was five years. So is that, so that so time gets weird, really weird in the quantum realm as well. Yeah, I mean, and and that's exactly the same as uh, uh, you mentioned Interstellar. Yes, uh, the, the where, the when Matthew McConaughey pull. travels yeah. and, and he's he's on this planet that orbits this supermassive black hole and and just a few hours for him are equivalent to, to decades going by on earth that is all correct yes. you know were we to find a, 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 a supermassive black hole and orbit around it that is exactly what would happen that is not science fiction that is science fact it's just that we haven't visited any black holes yeah one of the things i used to do because uh, I, I used to uh, tutor uh, math and science privately one of the things i used to do is often say um if if the sun was replaced by a black hole of equal mass what would happen straight away oh everything would get sucked in mm. everything would get sucked right. in like, well no equal mass nothing would happen apart from the fact so, there'd be no more gravity yeah, yeah exactly just don't get too close to it exactly right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um right so um you know cats and i so we what we do is we try we use our platforms to try and tell conspiracy theorists that they're wrong and we try and base it in science but we rarely see any quantum mechanics based conspiracy theories do we do you think that's because it is so hard to understand that these people can't think of these conspiracy theories it, it, it is partly that but also i think because people don't need 
to build up conspiracy theories about quantum, because quantum mechanics itself is already weird. I mean, quantum yeah. mechanics does lend itself to all sorts of uh, uh, you know strange ideas, from 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 telepathy to to, to you know uh, telekinesis or whatever. Anything that people you know that is supernatural or unexplained by science, the the, the non-science experts, the people who follow some of these wacky ideas, say, "Oh, well, it's quantum." You know, because and and somehow the excuse because we say quantum mechanics is weird, and a lot of quantum physicists don't like that word because of this issue. Yeah. You know, it's because it's weird. Somehow it gives people license to use it to explain away all sorts of what 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 Brian Cox would call all sorts of woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> that's good actually. So if we, if there's anything I don't understand from now on, I can just say that's quantum. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quantum. quantum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's a fair it's, it's, gets fair you out of all, yeah. all sorts of holes. <laughs> Excellent. I remember that. Um, there is a growing movement of anti-space conspiracy theorists, believe it or not. So these are people that genuinely believe that space doesn't exist. They think it's a direct violation of the laws of physics. Is that something you've heard of before, these people? Uh no, I don't think I've you heard haven't. that. I mean that's that that's an interesting one. I'd like to sit down and uh well, we, we've got hours of footage to, if you wanted to know. <laughs> so, no. the, the, one, one of the fundamental things that they say, and cats will know who I'm talking about here, is that they believe that the second law of thermodynamics means that you cannot have an atmosphere next to a vacuum. That's their genuine response to why there couldn't be space. And and do they know that gravity holds the atmosphere in place? Ah, uh, yeah, but they don't believe in gravity. That's the problem. They don't believe in gravity. Yeah, they don't believe in gravity. Yeah. So 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 are they like the ancient Greeks? They 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 think that thing we jump we fall back to Earth because we have a tendency to to want to get to the center of the Earth. Is that it's a metaphysical possibly? Yeah, they, they nonsense. Yeah, they they've got some really weird ideas. But in terms of the space, mm. then this is their this is one of their fundamental arguments that that because of the second law of thermodynamics entropy that the atmosphere would just go off in, into into the vacuum because they obviously think that vacuums suck i'm not surprised you haven't heard it because obviously you're not in this world and you don't watch it all the time but you, i mean i do find, i do find some of these some of the conspiracy theories of course as, as i'm sure you both do find we find them amusing they're oh, yes. so silly they're amusing and and you know and i i'll get the you know that i've had been letters and emails as you can imagine i get on a regular basis most of mine tend to revolve around people thinking they've either proven einstein wrong or they've explained something fundamental in quantum mechanics like the famous two slit experiment ah, yes. so, so they think they're doing good science and they want my seal of approval as a professor of physics that but i don't get the really crazy you know the the, the out there sort of you know flat earth this idea of there, there being no space it's funny that they they're happy to acknowledge the second law of thermodynamics exactly but yes. not to acknowledge gravity. Yeah, they're happy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's but interesting. They they do that. They some of them are very clever at that. They'll use aspects of science to try and disprove other aspects of science which they don't believe in. Uh, right. And, and right. we we always say, you know, you're saying you're you're happy that this is real, but you're not happy that this is real. Where is your line of of belief of your of yeah, trust yeah. in science? And I always say to conspiracy theorists, what what evidence or explanation would it take to persuade you that you're wrong? 
And they will say nothing. And yeah. Say, well, okay. Well, then there's no point in us having the debate. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Me, Katz, and I, when we on our, on episode one, we had a, a good chat about the uh, what what goes on in the mind of a conspiracy theorist, and we came to the the opinion that they aren't their minds aren't for changing. Um, mm. And what mm. what we worry worry about is the ten, twenty, thirty thousand people that watch these people. Uh, and that, absolutely yes and, and take it in and, and they, they can't it. tell they can't tell the difference between yeah. you know what they're saying and what, what proper science is saying exactly yeah mm. um i'm i'm thinking back to when the large hadron collider first opened um mm. and i remember there was actual headlines in the in the newspapers warning us that the collider could inadvertently create black holes which could go on to swallow up earth how much truth was there to that honestly well, that idea came from the suggestion that there could be such things as mini black holes. Yes. So these are tiny, tiny, you know, much smaller than atoms, smaller than subatomic particles that may have been created just from the curvature of space-time just after the Big Bang. And, and they've been hanging around for billions of years, flying out in, in space. So, uh, and, and they evaporate away in what's called Hawking radiation, uh, uh, so maybe we should be able to see them. But the other idea was, well, maybe we can create them. If we have enough energy, we, if we're creating the conditions of the Big Bang inside the Large, Large Hadron Collider, then we should be able to make these mini black holes. They are tiny, tiny subatomic entities, but they only, you can only jam as much energy into them as you've got within the Large Hadron Collider with sure. the collisions. So they're not massive little things that are going to suddenly create um, an event horizon and suck everything else in them. That would be completely impossible. And a lot of um, scientists have said, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to create anything of this of such high energy because we, we already see those particles naturally occurring in cosmic rays, the yeah. particles bombarding us from space. Every now and again, one of them will have much, much higher energy than anything we could have created in the Large Hadron Collider. So if black hole, mini black holes were going to appear, we'd have been hit by them in the stream of cosmic rays before now. Right. But it was, it was sort so, of fun. I yeah. mean, I, so you're telling I, me the I, press, the press uh, made something of it that wasn't? I found it actually, I mean, a lot of scientists were, were very sort of infuriated by this. Yeah. But I found it great because here we were, even tabloid newspapers yeah. were talking about a scientific experiment. Exactly. And, oh, is that the world going to, everyone, you know, guys down the pub were talking about, do you think the world's going to end tomorrow? Do you yeah. think we're going to create a black hole? What are these scientists up to? Obviously, it didn't happen. But I, I think it, the, the interest it generated in a scientific experiment in a sense, was a good thing, even yeah. if people didn't understand the science. And how could they possibly understand the science? You know, oh, it's, it's absolutely. difficult stuff. Yeah, um, completely agree. It was it was great that that it brought it to the forefront of people's minds and this this whole experiment. Mm. Um, and the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, have you heard any cats? Any any theories on that one? Conspiracy theories? I I haven't, but um, I've heard I've heard one. To... I've heard one. But oh, that, sorry, we'll, we'll talk about that later. When you were speaking then, a question did come to my mind, though, and, and how often is it that the media or the tabloid will misrepresent um, science mm. to, to sell papers, misrepresent science of climate change uh, or misrepresent science of whatever area? How often do you see that, and uh, is it a common occurrence? It is a common occurrence. I mean, I, uh, I think by and large, particularly, again, you know, the, the, this, this crazy year we've been living through, mm. journalists and, and science correspondents in the media have by and large been 
their relationship with scientists has changed and it's a maturing relationship. And so they're trying to get the stories right. They're not deliberately just trying to misquote or misrepresent science stories just to sell papers. But of course it, it happens. And, and, you know, I've been involved talking to the media for many, many years. And even though I'm, I'm, I'm experienced enough to know that a, a journalist asking me about, say, about my research, they're not there to, to make me look good, to champion my research, Jim has discovered this or that, nor are they there to trash my career. They just want a story. Mm. Uh, and so I know that, and I know what's how to give them the story. But even for me, very often they've decided, you know, I've, I've, I've been bitten in the past where they've taken what I've said, twisted it around, and that's basically the opposite of what I said. And then you have to go and try and sort of repair the damage. And that's not, I didn't mean that, I didn't say that. Uh, you know, I think that happens in all walks of life and, and it depends on the uh, integrity of the journalists involved. Yeah, absolutely. But, and it also, but it depends, like science possibly could be more harmful if they get that wrong, couldn't it? Than, than you know, it, and Yeah, and, 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 and we're seeing that now, for example. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, yeah. So, you know we're, we're realising that you talk about, you know, conspiracy theories, some of them are fun mm. and, and, and we can pour scorn on them because it doesn't do any harm. If someone doesn't believe we've gone to the moon or really truly believes the earth is flat or, or whatever, or, or, or even people who believe, I mean, even to some extent, some of this, the, the ideas surrounding say alternative medicine, mm. you know, the stuff that a lot of scientists feel no, really, really need to debunk. It's not as dangerous as spreading ideas about vaccines being dangerous or the yeah. vaccine, because now that's affecting the rest of us as well. Uh, and, and, and then you do have to sort of somehow fight back and try and find a way of, of getting the, the good science over yeah um the problem is i mean cats and i spend most of our time trying to tell flat earthers that they're wrong the problem with the the flat earthers is they are it's kind of like a gateway conspiracy once you're into flat earth anything else is mm-hmm. good to go and how uh, so many of them are anti-vaxxers aren't they cats and so many of them are anti-covid you know it's a covid hoax and all of this it's just such a difficult uh, it's a difficult group of people to try and not help but trying to prove wrong so we're going to try and use your immense intelligence to ask you is there a silver bullet for us to tell the flat earthers that they're wrong uh or will they not listen <laughs> um well i mean i think all the silver bullets that i could think of have been tried and tested with people you know the ancient greeks knew the earth was round Uh, you know that they measured the circumference of the earth statutes to pretty good accuracy um scientists in the medieval islamic empire they, they developed a really clever trick of climbing up a mountain and measuring the angle to the horizon and from that they could just use simple trigonometry and that told them the Earth was round. Yeah, and you, know, you just you just look out over the horizon, watch a, a ship <laughs> disappear over the over the horizon. That tells you the Earth is round. So I mean, think these are all supposedly silver bullets, but presumably flat earthers think they have a clever response to all of these. They do. Yeah. They do. Uh, and and you know, and they will go to all sorts of tortuous lengths. To, to, to and because because it's you know cognitive dissonance sets in they simply <laughs> feel too uncomfortable when faced with evidence and data they will dismiss it and they you know they're they're so fixed in their ways it's uh, yeah if only they're a silver bullet but I'm not sure whether the answer is to I guess you both would say to continue debating with them to continue sort of uh, well i don't know if that worked i mean you mentioned trigonometry cats was in a debate once and he asked a flat earth a, a, trigon- a trigonometry question and because it was in miles he said he doesn't work in miles uh, he, no it was in kilometers and he said he only works in miles so he couldn't do the the, the trigonometry question 
Well, that's that's <laughs> just being belligerent and yeah. silly, right? Yeah. I mean, that that's that's. I mean, he must have that person must have known that wasn't a very strong argument. To I think get he him probably did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, it didn't it didn't help his case very much. No, it, no, that exactly. he couldn't do a, a trigger. I mean, and it, I said it the other day. It's not it's not necessarily their fault that they they can't do these 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 simple maths and, and know about science. Yeah, but the dangerous thing is that they, they very often feel as though they are doing good science. They are being curious and, yeah. and, and sceptical and following the scientific method. So they think what they're doing is valid and, and rigorous. Yeah. Have you seen the documentary on Netflix? On? On Netflix, the Flat Earth documentary. Have you seen that one? No, I'm aware of it. Yeah. I, okay. I, 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 I may have to find some time and, I mean, you know, they have do. a stiff drink. They do do some, yeah. They do do some good science, don't they, cats? They've they they purchased a, a, a yeah. gyroscope, a laser gyroscope, and they measured a fifteen degree drift, but they didn't accept the results. So they <laughs> hid they hid the gyroscope in was it a bismuth chamber? Is that is that what they put it in? I think it was. And they yeah. still got a fifteen degree drift, but they didn't accept the results. It's just it's because it's just a shame because some of these people could do some great stuff in science if yes. they didn't believe the Earth was flat. <laughs> Dear, oh dear. Um, right, okay, let's move on. It's Guess the Conspiracy time. So this is the part of the show where Katz and I both come up with a fake conspiracy theory and we try and trick the guest into uh, which conspiracy theory is correct in that, I have to clarify this every time, it's not a real conspiracy theory and it's what what actually happens is just something that people believe. Okay. Um, so Katz and I have come up with one each, and there's one that is genuinely true in that people do believe it. It's currently 2-1 to the guests. So we've tricked uh, we tricked James from Action Lab, didn't we? But the other two um, have got it right. So me and Katz are looking to try and make it to all. So here we go. Number one, the Large Hadron Collider is a cover for a secret bank vault where NASA stashes all its cash and gold. That's the first conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Number two, gravity does not exist, and the mechanism that causes things to fall is relative density. That's number two. Mm-hmm. And number three, the genetic code has a secret fifth base, which doesn't ever show up in genetic tests because most doctors don't know how to test for it. Those who have this base are related to the elite, and this is how they are selected at birth and trained to take their place in the shadow organisations that run the planet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there we go. Three, so, two completely fabricated by Katz and I, and one is a genuine conspiracy theory that people believe. Well, um, I would say I'm, I'm not that confident of making it 3-1 to the guess, but I would say the middle one, that gravity doesn't exist and that's relative density that causes objects to fall, is the true conspiracy and the Large Hadron Collider and, 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 and then the, the third one about genes, they're made up by you guys. Is that your final answer? Yes. Yes. Well done. Well done. I, I realised I realized I balls that up when I talked about gravity not being real earlier. Yeah. I was that like, damn me. it. Why did I say that? Because it's going to mess up the game later on. Um, but anyway, that's it's 3-1 it's, it's to the guests. Cats, we've got some real making up to do, haven't we? I was really proud of the one I put forward yeah, this week. Yeah, I thought it was gonna, Cats came up with the genetic code one. Um, <laughs> I think we're still being too specific with our conspiracies. We need to be more generalised because it's just—it's obvious mm. that we've made them. We're so entrenched in their world. We just <laughs> anyway, um, Jim. It's been a fantastic chat. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it. 
Um, you, your latest book is the the world according to physics, and Indeed. that's out now on Amazon, isn't it? And also Absolutely. your your novel Sunfall is out as well. So I'm it's, gonna it's I'm indeed. gonna purchase that and I'm gonna read it and uh, then I'm gonna try and figure out my own book and uh, and get that get that out there. My idea. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks thanks for having me on, guys. It's no, been fun. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Cats, can you say goodbye, Thank please? You. Goodbye. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks everyone. We'll be back next week uh, when we have Kelly Garadi on. So we'll see you all then. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye.